you have fully vacant units on your property that you have mothballed until next semester? If you do, I bet you've thought to yourself, we should list those on Airbnb for game day weekends or for parents visiting their kids. Maybe you're in a college town like Austin or Raleigh or Tallahassee, and your city has large festivals and not enough hotel rooms. You know you could lease those units on a nightly or a weekly basis. Providing short-term rentals on platforms like Airbnb can provide a great source of ancillary income. But it takes some, uh, all right, excuse me, it takes a lot of organization. There's the additional setup of providing linens and coffee makers and all the little things that a short-term tenant will expect. Then there's the regulatory and tax issues that could require additional work. More importantly, there's the time and labor to market on all the multiple platforms, handle the reservations and cancellations, the cleaning, and then there's the bookkeeping. All of this turns into a big distraction from the main job at hand, which is operating and leasing your property. That's where Vector Travel comes in. These guys know the short-term rental industry and they know how to relieve all of those burdens from the property manager. And best of all, they've become experts in how to do that with student properties. They understand the complexity of mixing travelers with college students. They know it so well, they can quickly identify if a student property is not going to be a good fit for their program. So if you have vacant units, reach out to Vector Travel and have them do a free, no obligation assessment to determine if enrolling your vacant units in their program will be beneficial. Go to VectorStays.com forward slash SHI. Fill out a quick form to receive more information. You will also get the first month service fee waived by going to that specific landing page. Again, that's VectorStays.com forward slash SHI. Welcome to the Student Housing Insight Podcast, where we are putting you in touch with the people who bring student housing to life. I'm your host, Wesley Dees. And joining me today is the great and wonderful Greta Dare. I, I literally love how you introduce me. It's <laughs> the, the only reason you stay on as a co- as a co-host. That's so. it. I'm just here for the compliments, man. That's it. <laughs> well, how are you doing? I am spectacular. How are you? Good, good. Just got back from College Station for the Texas Student Housing Conference. How was that? Uh, Stafford Barrett. It's really good. And I was telling somebody today, it's, and this is what, you know, I expected. It's, it's the right people for, especially what I do on the consulting side. And there's not a lot of, you know, like with, with interface and you know, I love interface, but there is so many people there and so many things that everybody's got to do while they're there. And it's, it's just too, too busy. It's so impossible to see everybody you want to. <laughs> yeah. And, and with this, it was, yeah, I think it was just under 200 people. And it was, you know, going out to dinner on Wednesday night was fantastic. We had, um, I don't know, there was, uh, I guess there was probably about 12 of us. And we got, we, <laughs> we discussed more during that conversation relative to, you know, things I wanted to talk to people about. And it was just, it was just a great atmosphere. That's good to hear. Yeah. So last month I started this profile series uh, that we're, we're back on today. 
Uh, we did the first one with Julie Bonin, who's the chief operating officer at Asset Living. Just went over her history. And that that's that's really what this profile series is about. Because if you've been in this industry long enough, you've kind of seen that there's kind of this this generational impact that that has happened. You know, there were folks that that I worked with very early in my career that were, you know, part of really part of a group that started privatized off-campus purpose-built student housing. And and there's a few of us that are, you know, in our 40s and 50s right now that are kind of kind of bringing the next generation, you know, in student housing and I think it's important to because what was great for for me is we knew all those folks and and we knew each other's stories but but we weren't necessarily doing a good job of of passing those along and you know for example i mentioned the other day to someone about alan o'hara and they looked at me like i had five heads you know like who is he talking about <laughs> and you know it was really alan o'hara and campus apartments that were started in this country we kind of consider them the the first two companies that that started purpose-built student housing um, or at least student housing from a privatized standpoint. And, but you know, there, there's a, there's a group of folks that, that came from those very early days with Alan O'Hara. And, you know, these weren't the, the walk up garden style type student housing stuff that we saw, you know, built primarily in, you know, kind of the nineties and, and early two thousands. These were privatized dorms that were being built and they were operated as such. And, and that that that's kind of the you know the forefather group I guess of of student housing operators and it's if you've got a connection to that you understand it but so many folks in our industry don't have a connection to to that and and haven't heard the story and today's guest is Miles Orth and I got to sit down with him we were originally going to sit down. Same time I was going to do that interview at LeaseCon with Julie Bonin and, and and we weren't able to. But anyway, we were able to to connect here in the past couple of weeks. And I had this interview with Miles and and he came from the first property he worked on. It was uh, one of those Alan O'Hara properties. And it just kind of it really kind of reminded me how important this series is because there's so many folks that just haven't heard that story. and. Um, and he tells a good part of it uh, here in this interview. So excited for folks that may not be familiar with that story and and how you know GMH ended up. I mean, everybody knows the GMH today, but GMH you know also used to be a public company uh, before they sold their portfolio off to ACC. And then also uh, the story about campus apartments and and these are you know three companies that that Miles has worked for and been an integral part of their formation and, and, and kind of their legacy. He wasn't involved with the formation of, of Alan O'Hara, but he was obviously there during a, a really interesting time before that company ended up becoming EDR, which has since been sold to, to Graystar. But just, just cool talking to him about this. And, and I hope folks that are, that are newer to the industry that don't know that background not just because it's companies that you know merged and sold and and that type of thing, but it's it really explains a lot of the DNA that is within student housing and, and where a lot of our leaders from from yesterday and today have have come from and what their experiences have been. So, 
Anything you want to add to that before we cut to the interview? You seriously covered all of it. Literally the only other thought that I had, which is completely not 100% on base, is that it made me think of the Super Bowl half sh- halftime show that's coming up this weekend, which will no longer be apl- applicable, I'm sure, when this comes out. Because this is two OGs talking and that's what <laughs> halftime show is going to be all about? Um. Yeah, essentially. I was like, this is all the veterans of the game coming together. I was like, Droops, or, or Drew, Dre, Snoop, <laughs> Droop, <laughs> Dre, Snoop, you got married. Like, this is all of the, that was literally what I was sitting there thinking about when I was, when he originally said it and you were talking, I was like, oh, okay. The original members of the, the, the game got it, which yeah. technically, you know, like hip hop started pre Dre and Snoop and all that stuff. But really the hip hop genre became like huge and wildly like influential in the 90s which is not the topic of this podcast so i'm going to stop talking now well, let me tell you every gen xer and every older millennial like yourself whoa brother <laughs> is is super pumped about the halftime show that was rude a, <laughs> being an older millennial millennial at least millennial? i didn't call you a gen you know <laughs> so yeah i mean that's yeah i there's very few and now it's probably going to be a big letdown and we're we are recording this the friday before the super bowl what is going to be a big did you just say that the half are you talking about the halftime show yeah it will not be a big letdown you take that back (laughs) well i feel like we've built this whole thing up and it's just going to be a big it is impossible for that to be a big letdown do you hear me getting heated over here it is impossible for it to be a big (laughs) letdown all right, so let's get to the uh, <laughs> let's get to the interview with Milesworth, and we'll settle this. If it's a, it's a letdown, I'm now going to blame you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, enjoy this interview. Well, Miles, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Great to be with you, Wes. And uh, it's been a little bit. I'm glad to be able to jump on with you and join your podcast. Yeah, I, I was hoping we would be able to do this in person at, at LeaseCon back in December. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Every every company's got COVID protocols these days. Yes. <laughs> and we've got to uh, adhere to them when, when things come up. So I know you weren't able to to make it to to Dallas. You missed a really great conference, though. It was. I heard a lot about it, and uh, I heard that it was really that attendance was up. From, I heard that from Rich Kelly, and I heard that the content really was excellent. I know you were involved in setting some of that content, and it's. I think it's a good conference to be able to have info and content for operators yeah. uh, around what we do in student housing is so unique and operationally intense that it's it's helpful to have something specific to our group. Yeah, I think, you know, given given a little bit more time, because everything was just kind of wonky with when we were, uh, you know, doing something in December is just tough, and it was December 14th. And so, um, given that, given, you know, the emergence of Omicron at the time, and, you know, still being able to beat out numbers from 2019, I thought that was... Most yeah. Bad, so, but... Yeah, we, we did see each other back in July at, at Interface. And as I was coming out of, of that conference, there's something that's been, you know, on my mind for a while of uh, wanting to do these do these profile episodes of folks that we're now, 
you and I are now veterans of this industry. Sure are. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, you know, I think there's something there to to certainly be told. And, you know, a lot of us don't have a good understanding of, even though you and I have, you know, crossed paths over the past 20 years, you know, there's a lot about each other that we don't know. And, you know, I think this is a, a good way to, to get the audience uh, to give them some context of, of, you know, what your career has been like and that type of thing. So I appreciate you doing that. I also want to just, you know, give a quick personal thanks, uh, a remark of gratitude, just because the past two years in this industry have, have been pretty tough, but your leadership as alongside of folks like Chris Richards and Dan Aldersdorf and a few others that, that came together very early on, in the pandemic and said, look, we've got to be able to communicate about some of these things. We got to come together and, and talk about things that are, are going on. And so you guys started, a, I think it started off as a weekly call, may, may have even started off as two times a week. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it's now turned to a, to a monthly call amongst, you know, all student housing operators. And again, thanks for, thanks for setting that up and keeping that going. I think it's been a huge help to our industry and, just, you know, if there are folks that you want to, that you think would get a lot out of this, you know, I'd love for you to kind of share a little bit about the call and, and how they can be, become a part of it. Sure. The origin really is, uh, I think both Chris Richards, myself, and probably a lot of other operators in the business were getting tons of phone calls, not only from our own team, and we were trying to sort out what to do, what was the appropriate path forward in dealing with covid on our properties and with our team members. And we were also getting those phone calls from our colleagues. And so Chris, uh, at some point early on, as in that first week of March of 20, we talked to each other, we, we jumped right in and agreed that it would be helpful to set up a call. And uh, it, originally it was probably 25 operators and the call has uh, ballooned. Uh, there's a lot of people on from uh, operators to development, uh, ownership, uh, you name it. There's a lot of individuals and it really morphed from reviewing and discussing COVID strategy and protocols to what people were seeing on the ground in terms of collections and uh, traffic and leasing. And so we were sharing our uh, AR uh, collection percentages uh, across the portfolio. We were sharing our pre-leasing by market there was really tremendous transparency around what we were doing for our employees to protect them along with our residents and also in the areas of uh, data sharing. So, and it's become a little bit more formal and uh, because things have, we've sort of gotten ourselves into our groove, we are uh, doing it once a month. There's been some uh, discussion, some requests on some individuals to do it biweekly and uh, we've, we're excited to get you involved in this, Wes, because your your views around and your ideas around content in particular in the student housing space are excellent. And uh, I think I think that your engagement in those calls will add a lot. And we'd like to be able to invite really anybody in an operating role. It's one hour. Uh, right now, it's the second Tuesday of the month at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, people can uh, email me directly to join the call, and we're sort of doing it old school with a uh, email group and invite, and we're hoping to modernize that so people can subscribe or jump in or jump out, as the case might be. My email is just mworth at campus APTS, and uh, people are welcome to join, but 
We're excited about jumping on that call with you, Chris Richards, Dan Oltersdorf, Jen Cassidy, and myself to sort of organize around uh, a better proto- better system uh, related to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever we can do to to help, you know, I've enjoyed just being a part of those calls in the past, uh, you know, as an audience member because it, it's given a lot of insight to us on, you know, what is it that everybody's talking about? What what kind of content can we put together? So, so that's uh, yeah, love to love to help out with that, and and thanks for sharing that with everybody. Absolutely. So, uh, Miles, let's let's get the origin story. You know, yeah. Let, let's talk a little bit about you know. Let's get the Miles story. You know, yeah. where did you grow up. How did you you know intersect with student housing? Let's just yeah. start at the beginning. Well, I've been in the space for thirty years now, nearly thirty years, and uh, I've been with Campus Apartments for sixteen years. But uh, it really started as a student at the University of Wisconsin Madison. I actually grew up in the Philadelphia region. Chester County on a farm in Glenmore, Pennsylvania, uh, single mom, five kids, and raised us with uh, a tremendous work ethic. And uh, Single mom and five kids. Single mom, five kids, yep. yep. I've got four and a lovely wife. I could only imagine. That's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. She, uh, you know, God rest her soul, she's since passed. I don't know how she did it. Um, she was an extraordinary woman and really my hero in my life story, but uh, she was all about old fashioned values and old fashioned traits that include hard work, a work ethic, you know, a, a, a do what you say you're going to do, follow through, help other people. We did not have a lot, and but she always was engaged in helping others. But uh, I ended up as a student out at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, loved the campus and started working I was working my way through college and uh, a friend of mine was a resident assistant in an off-campus private dormitory uh, that was owned by Northwestern Mutual Life and managed by Allen and O'Hara based in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, candidly, for a college student, the two things that attracted me were free housing and free food <laughs> in return for you know working as an RA. And and so I... I did that and uh, oh, hey, I want to I want to yeah. stop you there for yeah. just a second yeah. and focus on that Alan O'Hara thing because uh-huh. so many uh, of the leaders of this industry have come out of the, of course Alan O'Hara, you know, later yeah. became public and you know it was under the flag of EDR. Yeah, um, but you know Bill Bayless came out of uh, out of Morgantown. Yep, Tom um, Tribbiana, uh, yeah. Craig Cardwell, Kent W. Dunn, Bill yeah. Moody. There's an incredible legacy of unbelievably talented people that were in the Allen O'Hara engine. And uh, I will tell you as an RA, one of the things I remember as a student at UW-Madison, I remember uh, visits from the team at Allen O'Hara doing their property inspections. Uh, We had a food service operation plus housekeeping facilities, uh, full service resident assistant program. So this was sort of the old school off-campus private housing experience sort of predating the uh, three-story walk-up and the the luxury product that exists in the market today. Like towers and... Yep, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Granville Towers, the Towers, Francisco Torres, uh, Castilian. There were um, probably <laughs> 20 to 30, I don't even remember how many, but uh, it's been so long since I've talked to Alan O'Hara. But one of the things that I remember to be honest with you, Wes, and this is an interesting dynamic, I think, in the space, 
is the general managers who were responsible for those assets. And I worked for a guy named Bill Levy, who's still in the space yeah. and has a pretty substantial portfolio in the Midwest. Um, he was the general manager at the Towers and the Regent in Madison, along with a couple of other properties. And uh, these were unbelievably talented, uh, experienced, seasoned real estate professionals who uh, as general managers were really responsible for the asset to their management company, Alan O'Hara, and to the ownership group, the predominant ownership group on the deals on the student side now in O'Hara was Northwestern Mutual Life. Mm -hmm. And NML was interested in hiring the best possible people, paying them what it took, providing the bonus to, uh, to encourage those people to act and serve as owner representatives. And uh, it, that was the quality of the GM position at Allen and O'Hara. Very different from the what existed or developed called in the last 15 years where, where operators, us included, were hiring a 25-year-old just out of college individuals, paying them you know, a reasonable amount of money to run a asset that might be a 40 to $60 million investment as opposed to somebody who was a 40-year-old-plus real estate professional with uh, a degree, you know, pedigree associated with real estate, uh, whether it be CPM or CAPS or uh, what you, you name it, CCIM. And, uh, and it was a different model. Now, circumstances changed. But the reason I bring it up is that's the model that I learned the business in. Yeah. Operationally focused very financial focused as an RA. And I later, the second year I became a resident director and I was responsible for a budget and for a staff. And I was responsible for acting and working with the other department heads and NML and the team at uh, Allen Hera treated me as a professional, even though I was in college. And that's how I learned the business. I wasn't studying real estate at UW-Madison. I wasn't even in the business program. I was studying philosophy and political science and had an expectation I was going to go into law school, but I loved it, just fell in love with it. And uh, I was treated to unbelievable experiences working with the likes of Bill Levy, Craig Cardwell, Bob Bird, Kent W. Dunn, folks that just understood real estate, not just from the hospitality side, but from the financial side and the investment side. And they had an expectation through their regional management to uh, and corporate support to understand that business. And that's how I got into it. That's my origin story. And it moved from that state. I, after graduating, I worked for Allen and O'Hara as an AGM at a property in uh, Santa Barbara, California, UCSB, yeah. and uh, called Francisco Torres, worked for Kent W. Dunn. Uh, that asset was owned by a Japanese fund that um, had an expectation in terms of returns. And the asset manager was a US-based guy who was incredibly intense and very focused on uh, making sure that everybody that was involved in the asset understood the financial interest and, the, and how to make money on the deal and yeah. while also servicing the customer. So it was a great foundational experience in property management operations that I think uh, was fundamental for me. And uh, Alan O'Hara trained operations, in my opinion, like nobody else in the space. Yeah. And uh, we've all tried to model programs, but they're the original company in the space. And from them and from their legacy has come lots of companies 
and it's been a springboard for many firms, including uh, American Campus Communities, Campus Advantage, you name it. Uh, Campus Apartments, interestingly, and I joined them 16 years ago, they were founded in the same year as Allen O'Hara, 1958. They love uh, to talk about being the oldest. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And they, David Edelman, who's the owner at Campus Apartments, uh, would I think he ended up bringing in a, a deed on a property to demonstrate that we were uh, same year but older. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I always go back to okay, well, who came up with the first individual bedroom lease? Because yes, individual bedrooms, yeah. and I'm pretty sure that was A and O. But that was out of the era. Yes. Well, since you've got since you've got some background in, in Santa Barbara, I've got to ask because there was a, kind of a viral thing that went around, of course, on LinkedIn, but it got kind of national news too, but they've proposed a new P3 deal at at UC Santa Barbara has no windows as far as like all the units are, are interior and there's no, no windows at all. Had a lot of friends on the, on the, you know, architectural side of the business just blast it. Yes. I got to, with your experience there, what do you think this, how do you think the students are going to take to that? I think they'll hate it. I think they're. Uh, I think the school probably will end up changing the uh, scope on that project and uh, modifying it and uh, yeah, revising that is my guess. Yeah. Yep. So so that brings us up to to college. So uh, yep. Obviously, you didn't. As you mentioned, you went to school thinking maybe you'd go to law school, but mm-hmm. you know, here you are an RA. What, yep. what happens next? So I ended up taking a job as uh, so our resident assistant to resident director, graduated, uh, took an assistant general manager job for Alan Era out in Santa Barbara, um, and then uh, moved back to Madison, worked for a, a real estate group in Milwaukee called Town Realty. Um, and they had multifamily assets with a couple of student deals. And uh, decided that my wife and I decided that we wanted to come back to Wisconsin and uh, we were in love with Madison and the whole uh, uh, Wisconsin outdoor experience and uh, uh, so worked with those guys for a while and at that time GMH uh, was a company owned by Gary Holloway they had been in business uh, with GE Capital doing workouts for GE nationally and part of some of the workouts that they had managed included some student assets actually at State College, Pennsylvania, at Penn State University and in Pittsburgh at uh, Duquesne. And they were looking at buying the uh, Northwestern Mutual Life portfolio from NML. And so I happened to be in Madison at the time and met some of the GMH people, was very attracted to what they were trying to do and uh, ended up not very long after getting back to Madison, as in like maybe a year, uh, left Town Realty and joined uh, GMH. Um, they had acquired the real estate from NML and a lot of the talent, the management talent from Alan Hara. So I knew a lot of those individuals. And so I ended up moving from Wisconsin and uh, becoming a manager at a property in Harrisonburg, Virginia, at JMU. Okay. That uh, GMH was it was an existing property. GMH was building uh, additional uh, three-story walk-up buildings on a site while renovating the existing property. And one thing after another happened. I 
went moved to Harrisonburg, but was spending more time in Auburn, Alabama, dealing with workout problems <laughs> at a portfolio down at uh, Auburn University. And so one thing after another happened, uh, and I was able through uh, the generous support of Gary Holloway and the team at uh, GMH to take on more and more responsibility and more and more challenges, moved into a area manager role and then a gene, regional role, and eventually was, uh, uh, after other roles, was able to, uh, was invited to move back to Philadelphia and take on a, uh, a senior role running operations uh, directly for a guy named Joe Coyle, who worked for Gary Holloway. And at that point, we were starting to move toward uh, taking the business public. Yeah. We had uh, two, two substantial pieces of business. One was the student housing business. Our partner was Goldman Sachs, the Whitehall Fund, and there was a substantial military housing business, which Gary Holloway grew to be the largest military housing provider in the United States and the largest student housing provider in the United States. And those two businesses were uh, used to go public in a offering, and that was in 2004, I want to say. At that point, American Campus, I believe, had gone public just before us. And, and then Gary was the second company. Uh, Gary Holloway took uh, GMH Communities Public um, in 2004. How much, just so our audience kind of has an understanding for yeah. that, you know, that manager role in at James Madison to the point that you're, you know, leading the operations in yeah. the portfolio. What kind of time frame are we talking about? Yeah, it's a great question. That wasn't that long. I mean, it was probably... It was probably five or six years. Um, it feel you know it seemed on on the one hand it might seem like a long time. It seemed like it was a snap of the finger. Yeah. One of the things I loved about and this has been true with every group I've worked with. There's never been. I was always the guy who was willing to ask lots of questions. I was never afraid to raise my hand. I was also never afraid to take on additional tasks or problems and go and try to uh, you know try to work out an issue. In real estate, workout people, whether it's industrial, uh, conventional, student housing, you name it, to find individuals who are willing to work out problems in a market and with a real estate class, uh, it's just a special thing. And I, I say this to folks all the time, if you want to advance quickly in an organization, be willing to raise your hand and, uh, and try to tackle any problem. Yeah. And if you don't know, there was never a problem candidly that I jumped into that I had the answer for, but I was willing to work to figure out what the answer was and to hire the right people and to spend the time uh, just trying to figure things out. And um, I think that's been a key. I've been lucky in my career to always work with individuals from Alan Nahara, Town Realty, GMH, and Campus Apartments, where everybody was always willing to give you as much rope as you wanted to run with <laughs> and uh, and to give you the opportunity to learn and to make mistakes. And that's a critical component. And that's true to this day with Campus Apartments, uh, with the leadership here, uh, Dave Edelman and Dan Bernstein, they're, they're not afraid to make mistakes. Uh, they recognize that people are going to make mistakes. And so you spend time training somebody and uh, when they make a mistake, that's part of the training. And what you don't want to do is continue making the same mistakes. And so everywhere I've worked, there's been a, an understanding 
and a willingness to allow people to uh, make some mistakes. And along the way in real estate, and I say this on calls all the time, we're property management professionals. I wake up every morning proud of being a property management professional. I love it. I live it. I breathe it. And uh, But in that world, you, you touch on the finance side, the investment side, the development side, uh, the financial management side, accounting, construction. Uh, you're touching everything as it relates to the investment life cycle of a, of a property, of, of real estate. And that's exciting. And so yeah. you, you have the opportunity as a property management professional to touch all of those aspects of the business. And it makes it fun. And I think that's why we're still able to recruit the best people because it's such an exciting, enjoyable profession. Yeah. 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 I was, you know, I think that's kind of where our, our paths first crossed. You guys were kind of leading up to, to make that IPO. And we had uh, the company I was working for at the time, small merchant developer. We had two properties that we sold to you guys within a year, um, one in Charlotte, one down in Hattiesburg. I remember it. And then it was, yeah, it was just a few months after, uh, after we sold the Charlotte deal that you guys did your, did your IPO. What was that like? That was, that was an experience. Uh, I had obviously never been through anything like that before. The, the reporting, uh, the documentation, the underwriting, the, the protocols, the processes we needed to have and, and did have, but we needed to memorialize our policies for everything. Um, we needed to demonstrate that. Um, we had outside consultants guiding us and uh, the, the intensity of the reporting uh, was pretty impressive and uh, incredible. And you, you, you knew in that context that you were uh, not just, if you make a mistake or you do something, you're not just impacting the net worth of a Gary Holloway and his investors, but your shareholders, uh, which include pension funds, individuals, yeah. and those pension funds might include a police f- pension fund or a firefighter's pension fund. And so uh, I think the company did a really good job then, uh, GMH did a really good job, in my opinion, of educating everybody on the team about the importance of our of, of treating the investments well, because we were dealing with um, pension funds that were invested into the company. Uh, that had a huge impact. And that was really important to Gary Holloway. And for him, having groups like firefighter union pension funds and police union pension funds, in addition to Wall Street investors and individual investors, that was a source of pride for him. And he took that really seriously. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was great to see, you know, having, having ACC in that public space and then you guys to, to join it. But, but take us, take us beyond that. How did, yeah. how did that play out and, and that obviously your next step was, was at campus apartments after that. Yeah. So, you know, there was a, began to become a discussion about what, what Gary wanted to do with the business. Um, Gary is a, Gary Holloway and his son, Gary Jr. are really innovative and entrepreneurial type people. And I think Gary Sr. realized that being in the public space with real estate, might limit some of the things he could do as a private investor from an entrepreneurial standpoint. So we contemplated selling American campus communities and we were substantially larger than uh, ACC at the time. I think we, we operated in 42 states and had a significant portfolio, uh, but they, they really um, stretched beyond their, 
beyond their skis and bought the business. And then the military housing business was sell, sold to an English concern, Balfour Beatty, big institutional infrastructure company. And so as that was happening, I had the, the privilege of meeting Dave Edelman and his team, uh, specifically him and Dan Bernstein. We had run into each other during some P3 uh, opportunities mm-hmm. and uh, in some markets uh, where Campus Apartments was uh, contemplating investments. And so I had the opportunity to meet those guys, had a great series of encounters, meetings with David, and just realized that where his mindset was uh, in terms of what he wanted to do with his portfolio, that uh, it was something that was going to be exciting. They were like Alan O'Hara in many ways in that they were they had a proud tradition of being intense operators. For them, it was all about and is all about the operations and uh, and about the success of the real estate. And so their their mindset and their mission really jive with my personal view of the business. And it became an opportunity uh, that I couldn't miss. And yeah. uh, I've been here now 16 years and uh, we've had some really fun times here. Very innovative company, also very entrepreneurial. David Edelman um, in particular, uh, but this is true with Dan Bernstein as well. They have significant other personal investments. Yeah. Um, and uh, that are, in, in some instances, substantially larger than the, uh, the real estate portfolio. And we have roughly $2.5 billion of real estate in our, in our portfolio that we own and manage. But uh, Dave has, uh, and, and has founded and runs, I, I, I have actually lost count how many businesses he <laughs> is the either lead investor or owner on or founder of. And uh, it includes Franklin Square, which is a huge publicly traded wealth management company in uh, Philadelphia. And it's a business that, that uh, we, we were actually meeting with a group in Orlando at the time. And uh, David, I could tell, was distracted during the meeting. And on the flight back, we sort of you know, gave him a hard time about how he was distracted. And he talked about an idea that he had that he had sort of thought of in the meeting. And it later became Franklin Square, which is now oh, something like a $45 billion uh, real estate, uh, not real estate, but investment company in Philadelphia Correct. that he founded. And the idea for that was in that meeting. We just, we were there to to advance and talk about campus apartments and some of the investments we were doing. But he, while we were talking, he was clearly focused on this other thing. We could tell that his mind was wrapped into this. Yeah. And it was funny for him to express the idea on the plane. And then he founded the business and it's just, it's just taken yeah. off. It's skyrocketed. That's incredible. Yeah, I know yeah. he's got his, his hands in a lot of different things. I think he was I think he one of the early investors with Wheels Up. Yeah, he's the lead investor uh, on Wheels Up, and I think he's the uh, he's the lead director now. Uh, they Delta took a significant investment in Wheels Up, and then they ended up going public through a SPAC. Um, so okay. Dave led that effort with with Kenny Dichter, who's a former. Uh, Kenny and I went to University of Wisconsin Madison together, and we're involved yeah. in student government out there. So I had the opportunity to introduce those guys probably 12 years ago. And uh, I had no idea at the time that they would end up doing a lot of business together through a lot of vehicles. One of them is really, yeah. 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 Small world. So, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the the past couple of years have presented a lot of challenges for, for student housing and, and property management as a whole, but what, what are the kind of, as you're looking you know, five to 10 years out, you know, what are, what are some of the things that you find 
maybe and I don't necessarily want to say fearful, but things that you're saying, this is going to be a challenge and we need to learn how to, to figure this out. Anything on your radar these days concerning that? I think, I mean, as I look at the business, I think our biggest challenge is people, whether it be facilities team members, folks who want to get up every morning and work to be a grounds person, a maintenance tech, um, a facilities manager, somebody that wants to be a leasing professional or a accounts receivable or assistant general manager, general manager. I think the finding people to fill these critical roles at properties is is now and probably will continue to be the largest challenge that we all face. Certainly there are challenges in terms of underwriting. Deals are getting thinner. And when deals get thinner, people look for opportunities, whether it be on the staffing side, obviously payroll is one of the three big expenses in a, in a, on, a, on, a, on a property, particularly in student housing. And, uh, and so there's sensitivity around cost and, uh, and so forth. I think there will be a lot of innovation. So a challenge will be figuring out the right way to incorporate the significant innovation around AI that's, going to, that's coming. It's here now, but it's going to develop. And so in the future, how many employees will you need at a site in an office um, if there's completely uh, self-guided tours and virtual lease experiences, which again exist today, what will be the right count and the right uh, type of people in the future in the office, I think we'll continue to have a need for focused and trained and competent facilities people. Uh, but increasingly, we have trouble filling the, the most basic positions in our business. And uh, it's a combination of factors. You've got uh, federal government support uh, for individuals through the COVID pandemic, uh, but you also have fewer trained people who are HVAC certified and or other trades that want to work in an apartment community. And if they do want to work in an apartment community, do, do they want to choose a multifamily property or do they want to choose a student property where you've got 18 to 20 year old students, some of whom can be really challenging. And you know, you wait, you wake up and come into work every day and you have to clean up the same amount of trash because students aren't picking it up or throwing it in the trash themselves. So that's our biggest challenge is finding competent people and filling these these open positions. Um, I think that's the thing that's going to continue to impact our business well into the future. Yeah, it's it's kind of not funny, but but seeing, you know, when I got into the consulting space, it, it opened up a lot of doors for me to, to look at student housing outside of the U.S. borders. And it's amazing seeing even the very early stuff like you were talking about with Alan O'Hara you know, I would consider that, you know, a very hot touch type of relationship that the the staff had with the students. You've got a, you know, full RA staff there that that's pretty much, you know, replicated with, you know, whatever that 75 or 100 to 1 ratio is um, on campus. And, you know, if you, if you needed to talk to someone, there was, there was always someone there, you know, kind of 24 seven, honestly. Yep. And then going to, Three four years ago, I had a chance to go to London and and look at some um, student housing operators there, uh, as well as spend some time in Canada. Canada mimics the U.S. more so than uh, than what the U.K. did. Uh, the U.K., especially in London, it was so self serve. I mean, the only the only person that you may have on the on the site 
you know, was more of like a den mother type figure. Uh-huh. And, and of course, most of these, you know, you're talking about a major metropolitan area. So most of these buildings were they kind of tapped out at 250 beds. Right. And they're scattered all over the city. But, you know, and in, in touring those properties, you know, you felt it right away. But the students were very uh, open to it. And, um, you know, they they had and there was very little vacancy. So there wasn't really any kind of self guided tours or anything like that. But and I kept thinking, how does, you know, you know, knowing what the P&L looks like on a property, you know, is the, I came back looking at that saying, OK, maybe maybe there is too much hot touch that we're we're building into these budgets and, and maybe students are going to be more open to that. <laughs> it's there's been some discussions I've had with folks and, and from as far as the operators are concerned, they are very, very nervous about having to, to change with that. And so I don't know if it's going to be a a technology thing that ends up making that shift happen, but I think ultimately in order to make the numbers work, I think it's going to have to, we're going to have to have some kind of shift. So it was interesting. You brought AI and as well as the, as well as just, the, I don't want to call it a labor shortage, but because there's, we've certainly experienced that over this past year. And even on the on-campus side, I talk to university administrators every week who are talking about, you know, not being able to uh, to recruit RAs. And it's just because, you know, their parents don't want them going into, you know, going into spaces where they're going to have to be exposed to, to other students and that type of thing. And, um, and a lot of these students are also, you know, getting uh, some type of government assistance as well. So interesting. I do think college students are, you know, they're, let, let's be honest, they're, they're accustomed to going to a fast food restaurant and ordering everything online, paying with a digital uh, payment, whether it be Venmo or some type of digital technology, or even a credit card, um, not engaging with anybody particular and then receiving the order. It, so much of what we do is online. I think that's coming in our space and it will be up to the operators out there to adapt and innovate and find ways to improve our P&L. And, uh, and the only way we're going to do that is by experimenting and trying and, and having online capability and uh, virtual tours, self-guided tours. Everything we do now is online. There's no paper. So all payments are online. All leasing application from beginning to end is online uh, with no paper. And and we've been in that environment for a long time now. I think that makes it easier. We still have this predisposition to have a certain amount of staff to be able to support the property, both in an office and in facilities. But uh, we're, we're beginning to evolve away from that. But, but some of it is not unlike other businesses that are having to adapt because they're having trouble hiring people yeah. or, or have other regulatory uh, issues that they're grappling with around hiring people. Yeah. So my next question, you kind of hinted, hinted to it a little bit earlier when I asked the question about time frame and between being a GM and being in, you know, a more leadership role. Most of our audience are, you know, at that general manager or community manager level. And uh, many of them expressed to me through their direct messages and LinkedIn and, and elsewhere that you know they're looking to to make that next move, and I just wanted to wanted to get your opinion on you know what kind of advice I guess really would you give to those managers who are who are wanting to take their uh, take the next step in their career, start looking for the next step in their career. 
again, I think you, I think you answered a bit of this earlier of, of just be open to, to different opportunities and, and obviously problem solve, but um, anything else there that you want to wrap up for those folks looking for advice? Yeah, I mean, I think the critical thing for anybody wanting to advance, and I think this is true without regard to what business you're in, um, as you're wanting to uh, grow, advance, learn, do more, you have to be willing to step outside your comfort zone and uh, and take on responsibilities. Um, you have to be really good at what you do. There are lots, the world is filled with mediocre talent, <laughs> to be honest with you. And so there's a lot of people who are mediocre in their job who have an expectation to advance, and that's just not going to happen. It's just not how it works. You Companies have choices, and you want to choose the best and the brightest. And by that, I don't mean to say that you need a company filled with Harvard-degreed uh, professionals. In fact, you, you, we, ha- we have some of our most successful people in our company can't come from the school hard knocks, and they just are hardworking people who will do what it takes to get the job done. So I think if you're on site without regard to a position, so you could be the general manager or an AGM or a a leasing professional, and it's a business that you like and you wanna stay in real estate or stay with the company that you're in and sort of grow, um, raise your hand, ask lots of questions. Uh, Don't be afraid about asking what somebody might conceive as a stupid question. As the cliche is, there are no stupid questions. So be creative, be inquisitive, uh, hard work and work ethic go without question in my view in terms of being having opportunities of promotion. I think in our space, one of the things that hurt us over the last, call it uh, 15 years, is that there was such a growth in student housing, development, acquisitions, uh, numbers of companies, uh, enrollment growth that a lot of us were forced to hire people who were not ready to run a property. And, uh, and, and, and we paid them a lot of money um, and there was wage inflation in those roles and uh, they just didn't do a good job because they weren't ready or they weren't the right type of people. And I, so we often go outside of our space into hospitality or totally other industries to find individuals. But if you want to grow in a company, let people know you want to grow ask for opportunities. Don't be afraid to ask lots of questions and uh, raise your hand when there's a challenge. Those are the people that will catch the eye of, of uh, a regional manager or uh, the corporate team. And, uh, and that's how you'll get uh, growth and opportunity. Um, and, and candidly, don't be afraid to move to a different market. Your entire family might be in Auburn, Alabama or in Statesboro, Georgia, but uh, if you're given an opportunity to go to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, or or Santa Barbara, California, take it. It's not going to be for the rest of your life, but you'll learn a lot. You'll meet a lot of interesting people, and you'll grow your your knowledge of uh, what's out there. And uh, I think those are qualities that will cause that person to get the attention of any company uh, that they're in. And if your choice is between Santa Barbara and Hattiesburg. I personally recommend Santa Barbara. I do too. (laughs) (laughs) Having spent a lot of time in Hattiesburg and Santa Barbara, I would choose Santa Barbara 100%. The the mosquitoes are like greyhounds. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, I appreciate the time today. I've got one final question for you. And and that's, you know, looking out into into 2022, is there anything on the horizon for yourself and and campus apartments that you want to let our audience know about? 
Well, we just closed another student housing investment yesterday in our um, in a fund that we've raised. Um, uh, Dan Bernstein and uh, David Edelman are raising, still out there fundraising to uh, grow this fund. Um, I think I think we'll uh, 2022 will see us reach sort of a life cycle end on some of our real estate and uh, go through a disposition process uh, on some of the holdings that we have. And then we'll con- we will see us continuing to close uh, deals. I think um, uh, I'm really excited about the future of the company and about the team here and the opportunities in the space. I think there's unique and excellent uh, opportunity, even though there's a lot of, a lot of groups in our space now, a lot of institutional money in the space. I think that only draws more attention and better attention. Um, I think it will help great operators who know the business and act with integrity, understand smart growth. Those are the companies that are going to be successful in 2022 and beyond. So I'm really excited about what's happening with us at Campus Apartments and, and also about our industry. Well, fantastic. Well, again, thanks so much for, for the time, Miles. And I know our audience is, is better for it. Look forward to, um, to seeing you at a conference soon and, yes. um, and, and catching up with you on, on some of these monthly student housing calls. So Excellent. Again, thanks so much. I will link your, your contact information in the, in the podcast notes if anybody wants to reach out to you. Any final words of wisdom? The only thing I would say, I just want to thank you. Um, you're interviewing a lot of people, but you have offered incredible content. I know you're very engaged with LeaseCon, TurnCon, and we appreciate everything you're doing in our space to educate the future generation uh, that's going to be running these businesses and running these properties. And uh, it, it, content is so important and learning the business. Um, and you do a great job through your communications and through uh, a, uh, Student Housing Insights. So thank you, Wes. Well, thank you. And and yeah, if there's if there's anything you and your team or other colleagues see as, as something where maybe SHI can fit in and serve a need, by all means, just, just speak up and let us know. You got it. Well, thanks so much. Thanks, Wes. Well, again, big thanks to to Miles for for spending some time uh, and and really just giving us that background. I know it's just history, and you know we both have an appreciation for for history in general, Miles and I. And then I think you know you, you put us together on something like that. We're we're just kind of geeking out over over the history of this industry, and it's uh, hopefully we didn't bore you to death, but. It, <laughs> For me, it was a fun interview, and I hope uh, hope you guys are able to take a lot away from it. So, do we want to we want to go back and and talk about the halftime show, or <laughs> you want to fight about it? Because I'm I'm dead serious. If it ends up being anticlimactic, it is a hundred percent on you. Well, um, yeah, I, I hope. Uh, who, who are you rooting for? Anybody? I mean, genuinely, I like you're probably a Cincinnati fan in this situation, but. I should be, but I'm not. But you also spent a lot of time in California, so. Yeah. No. No, we're <laughs> in this house, apparently, like, we're, I have a small child who was very, very, you know, because I have a small child now. Uh, I have a small child who was very devastated over the Chiefs' loss 
And so we're still focused on that. We're still getting over that loss. It was very upsetting. And uh, so we will have to decide as the day comes forward who we're rooting for. I'm going to leave it up to said small child who it is that we're rooting for. Well, I think I'm all in on Cincinnati on this. As much as I would like for the for the home team to to win it in their home city, which is super weird that that's the second year in the row that that's happened, right? Never happened before last year, but yeah. So we'll uh, we'll see. Uh, yeah, by the time you're listening to this, we'll we'll know what the outcome is. So, all right, guys, everyone, take care, and we will talk to you next time. Bye.